0: let's turn back for a few moments this evening to the chapter that we read the gospel according to luke in chapter 14 luke chapter 14 and we'll read again from verse 15 and we're going to consider the whole of this section the the parable of the great banquet but just as a as a connecting link if you like we'll read verse 15 and 16 when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things he said to jesus blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of god but jesus said to him a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited come everything is now ready This chapter that we read in Luke sees Jesus invited to a Pharisee's home. It wasn't unusual for teachers or preachers to be invited to a home for a meal after services at the synagogue. But this particular occasion, this this incident that we're reading about here, this wasn't about hospitality. Hospitality. This wasn't about the Pharisees extending hospitality to Jesus. This was all about hypocrisy. Because as we read on, we see, as we read through this, this chapter, uh, at the, 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 the first section there in the chapter, we see that the Pharisee who owned this house had also invited a sick man and he had put him right where Jesus couldn't miss him. The aim was to trap Jesus. If he ignored the sick man, then they could easily say that he had no compassion. He didn't really care for the sick, no matter what they had heard, what people had heard about his healing and his compassion. If he, didn't, if he ignored this man, then, then it was all rumour and hearsay. And they could, they could rubbish Jesus in the sight of people. If he healed him, Then they could say that he broke the Sabbath. He had no respect for the laws and the traditions of the elders. But Jesus, knowing what they were about, Jesus turned the tables on the Pharisee. And before he did anything, he asked a question. He asked if it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he healed the man and he sent him away. The Pharisees, they refused to answer because they had no answer. Because Jesus had exposed their hypocrisy. He said that they would go out of their way on the Sabbath. They would go out of their way to save one of their animals. But they lacked the decency. They lacked the morality to help a fellow human being. Somebody created in the image of God. This left them speechless. And so Jesus went on and he told some parables to teach these hard hearts about humility. First of all, he said that instead of trying to promote themselves by taking the place of honour at feasts when they were invited, that they should sit anywhere, take any seat, the lowest seat, and leave their promotion to the hosts. And he challenged them to reach out to people when they gave feasts to invite people who couldn't return the favour Because what they were doing was simply mutual back scratching. I'll invite you, you invite me. But what Jesus challenged them to do was to actually to do good by reaching out to people who could not repay them for what they had done. And this brings us to our text. Because one of the guests hears all of this talk about breaking bread. And he basically basically speaks out and he says, Praise God, we're going to our real feast someday. The Jews believed that the kingdom of God was like a feast. And that they would sit there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that they would break bread all together with the superstars of the Old Testament. And this fellow, this this person who spoke, he believed that he would be there simply because he was a Pharisee. That he was the right kind of person to be at that feast. Now Jesus used what he was telling them. He used these parables to challenge the men there, the people there, who wrongly believed that they were right with God. He challenged them to teach them how the invitation to God's feast actually worked. And I want us to look at these verses. I want us to look at this great feast tonight. Because they challenge us too. whether we're in here tonight as believers, as interested, as simply, or as simply as people who come to church. There's something here that challenges everybody when we read this parable. Because I want us to look tonight at God's plan to save sinners. And I want us to look at our role in that plan. Now this passage is about God's invitation to salvation. And there's a lot tied up in that invitation. First of all in verses 16 and 17 here we see this invitation extended. We're told that this banquet, this, this, this great man was having a great banquet, the master of the house. It was to be a grand event. And the people invited to this banquet, they were to be the cream of the crop. They were the rich. They were the powerful. They were the movers. They were the shakers. Anybody who was anybody would have been invited. All the big names all the social elite in that place would have been invited. And Jesus uses this picture of a lavish banquet. He uses it to teach us something about the glory of God's kingdom. For those who will be at the Lord's banquet in heaven, for those who will sit at his table in glory, it will be an event so grand an event so glorious that we can't even begin to imagine it. We can't grasp with our finite minds what it means. When we look at the beauty and the grandeur of the world around us, this place that God has set us down in, we have to remember that this world is spoiled by sin, part of the curse that came when the world came under sin in Eden. So we need to try and imagine a world that is perfect. A world that is free from sin. A world that is free from Satan's influence. Free from pain. Free from suffering. Free from sorrow. Free from tears. A world that's lit by the very glory of God. Filled with holiness and righteousness. And in that world, try imagining a banquet that's attended by all of the saints from all of the ages. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they'll be there. David and Solomon, too. Ruth, Rahab, Esther, they'll be there. They'll be at the table. The apostles, the martyrs, from all the centuries down through the ages will take their seats at this banquet. It'll be the social event of eternity. You don't want to miss this banquet for the world. To get a seat at the banqueting table, your name needs to be on the guest list. If it's not on the list... You're not coming in. The guest list is the Lamb's book of life. And the only way to get onto the guest list is to be invited by the host because you know and you love his son. What a banquet. What a feast. What a promise. So the invitation was extended. But as soon as the invitation was extended, the excuses started to come in. Now, a a banquet like this, a great social gathering like this, it's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's not some sandwiches and a cup of coffee. It's not that. All those invited would have been told about the date, would have been told about the arrangements well in advance. They would have cleared their diary for something like this. And they'd already have promised that they would attend because the host needed to know how much food had to be prepared and for that he would need to know who was coming so when the feast day arrives the host all he should have to do is to send his servants out to call those who were invited to tell them it's time for the banquet and to call them to come now they all knew the date they all knew the time they should have been prepared they should have been ready they should have been waiting to come But that's not what happened here. They all made excuses why they couldn't attend. Somebody once said that an excuse is something like a sausage. It's got the skin of a reason, but it's stuffed with a lie. And looking at these people's excuses, looking at what they all said when they were called, when they were summoned to the banquet, we can see how true that really is. Now the main context, the main idea behind these verses here, behind this parable that Jesus is telling, is about Israel being called to come into Jesus' kingdom. Just like in the parable, they'd been told about it beforehand. But when the time came, and it was time for them to go to Messiah, they wouldn't. In fact, they took him, and they killed him. And so God turned to others to fill the seats at his banquet. There's something for all of us here. God prepared salvation by sending his son Jesus into this world to die on the cross. He made everything ready. And then he sent his Holy Spirit into the world to invite sinners to come to Jesus and find the salvation that could only be found in Jesus. But like Israel... People don't listen to God's Spirit calling them to come. Look at the excuses that were given for those who refused to come, who turned down the invitation. And these excuses, if you look at them and you maybe stand back a little, you'll see that the excuses that these men made come from all of the areas of life where we put up excuses to resist coming to Jesus. Look at the first guy. The first guy, it was all about his possessions. This man had bought some property. He had expanded his portfolio, a field in this case. And he bought it without seeing it first. That's a ridiculous thing. Who does that? Who makes an investment of that size and doesn't go and find out what it is they're actually buying and what it's like before you actually part with the money? don't know if you've ever watched... Daytime television. There's a program on in the mornings called Homes Under the Hammer, which follows people buying property at auction. And one of the things that they get slated for time and time and time again is if they buy property without seeing it first. Nobody in their right mind does that. Nobody who knows what they're doing does that. This man said that he had bought a field and he had to go and see what it was like. Who does that? This is a picture of somebody who is so materially minded, so obsessed with his portfolio and his possessions. He can't refuse refuse the opportunity to add to what he has materially. And so he refuses the call of the gospel so that they can keep living in this world and for all that it gives. God has a special word for this kind of person. He'll say the same thing to that person that he said to another man one night. A man who pulled down his barn so that he could build bigger ones. He'll say, you fool. What good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? The most important question In this life, the most important thing in this life for us is not how much we are worth. It's not the size of our bank balance or our pension plan or our property portfolio. The most important question for any human being is, am I saved? That's the most important question for you and for me. How do we answer that question? the next man when he came with his excuse he had brought ten oxen five ploughing pairs and he'd done something similar he bought these oxen without trying them out and he can't come to this banquet because he has to go and plough this field to see whether they're up to the job now he's parted with the money he's bought the oxen, the beasts are his he's trying to get ahead in the world maybe But as a businessman, his excuse is a lame one at best. Who who would buy oxen without trying them first? Would Golson Motors buy buses without seeing what they were like? Would Duncan Mackay's buy lorries and diggers without seeing what they were like first? Who does that? Especially if his business was going to depend on them. Whether it's farming, whether it's ploughing, whatever it was... This was a significant investment he was making. He had bought five ploughing pairs of oxen and he didn't know what they were like and he had parted with the cash. Who does that? Be like you and me buying a car without taking you for a, de- for a test drive. Many people are just like them. This man was focused on his career. He was focused on his business. He was focused on his work. And many people are like that. Their careers, their businesses get between them and God. Now there's nothing wrong with working. There's nothing wrong with earning money. But when these things come between you and God, when they become the most important things in your life, that's when they become sinful. Because they become your idols. God doesn't give us jobs. God doesn't give us careers so that we can move away from him. He gives them to us as a blessing so that we can enjoy the good things that come from his hands. But we can misuse God's blessings. And we do misuse God's blessings. Many people put their businesses, put their business lives, put their careers... Before God. And as a result. When they die. They will go to hell. And God will say to them this. You fool. What good is it for you. If you gain the whole world. But you lose your soul. Because your soul. Is the only thing that you have. That is worth anything. Your soul is worth Jesus dying for. And the third man was a newlywed. And it's understandable maybe that he wanted to spend time with his new wife. Now weddings in Bible times, just like today, they were extravagant events. Planned months in advance. And he would have known that he was getting married when he accepted the invitation to the banquet. Perhaps maybe his wife would actually wouldn't have minded an evening by herself. Who knows? But this man put this personal relationship above everything else. And we do that. Many people won't come to Christ because they're afraid of what their families, of what their friends, what their work colleagues will say, or what they'll think. Many people are too steep, too wrapped. Too woven into the fabric of this life, their own little world of family and friends to give their lives to Christ because they're scared of what it will cost them. And these excuses, these three excuses that we have here, these are a picture of the Israelites. They knew that the kingdom of God was coming. And they knew that God was planning a feast, a great event And they knew that they were to be the honoured guests. Messiah had been promised. Messiah was going to come. And Messiah was going to deliver them. And he was going to come to them. They had been told by the prophets when the feast would be. But when Messiah came. When Jesus was sent into this world to call them to the feast. They turned a deaf ear. They wouldn't come. And people still make the same excuses today. And these excuses mean as much now in 2015 as they did then. Not a single person who rejected this great master of the house's invitation had a valid reason to do so. And not one person who rejects Jesus Christ as their savior has a valid reason for turning. A deaf ear to the gospel. There are no excuses. And so then the invitation was expanded. When the servant came home with his, with his disappointing reply, the master became angry. He'd invited all of these people, specifically these people, because he wanted them at his feast. And they'd all promised to come. They'd all given their consent, their agreement, that they would be there at that time, on that day. But now they had rejected his invitation and that made him angry. Now, this is a picture of God here. We're taught that God is a God of love and he is. And we're taught that God wants to bless us and he does. And we're taught that God only wants the best for us and that's true but it's not the full picture because God is also a God of wrath and of judgment and people who come to him and His inviting people who come and respond to his invitation they experience his love and his grace and his preparation for them and people who reject him they experience his anger and his rejection. So this master, he sends his servant out again with a different invitation. He takes the invitation to anybody that he can find to bring them to the banquet. And he finds, and he invites so many people that this banquet is full. God knew when he sent Jesus, that his offer of salvation would be rejected by Israel. God knew that. It didn't catch him off his guard. God invited his people to come, just like he would promised, just like he said he would, just like the prophet said he would. And when they refused, God expanded his invitation to include whosoever will. People like you and me, God knew that the rich, that the powerful, that the religious, he knew that they wouldn't come to Jesus, but he knew that the poor, he knew that the sick, he knew that the outcast, the the downtrodden people who know that they can't live without him, he knew they would come to Jesus. And look at this expansion of God's invitation because it gives us an insight into Into God's plan to save the lost. But more than that. It also speaks about our part. If we're believers in Jesus Christ. It also speaks about our part in his plan. If you look at verse 21. We can see that this expansion is critical. The master tells his servant to find people quickly. There's urgency here. The feast is ready. The table is laid. It's groaning under the weight of all of the preparations. But the food will quickly spoil. The time for the feast, to come to the feast, is short. God knows that time is short for lost souls too. People, ordinary people, live As if they're going to live forever. But our our lives are short. No matter how long they last. I was at a funeral when I was at home at Easter of a lady, a godly lady, a sister in Christ in back, who was 101 years old. And the day before she died she was writing checks and she was talking to people. But her days came to an end. 101 years old, no matter how long you and I live, we're not going to live forever. After this life, there's an endless eternity to be spent either in heaven with the Lord or in hell without him. And the only way to find ourselves in heaven is through Jesus Christ because he is the division bell between heaven and hell. And that's why we must tell others about the feast. Somebody once described Christians as being like beggars, telling other beggars where to find bread. We've been commanded to share the gospel and this command is urgent because time's running out for people to repent of their sins and to call on the Lord. My flatmate at university, the first time I was a student, which was a long, long, long time ago, he told me a tale of, of, of one of his friends who had gone to Strathclyde University with him in the late 70s and he was converted at the uh, Christian Union in Strathclyde University. And one Saturday, this chap was walking down Suffry Hall Street in Glasgow. And he was just overcome with the thousands of people that he saw on the street. And he had to duck into a shop. He ducked ducked into Woolworths with the tears streaming down his face. And he told my flatmate, he said, I saw all of these people. Happy, laughing, families, And they were all going to hell. And it broke my heart. Do we actually realize how late it is? People are perishing. People are going to hell. And we are doing so little to reach them. With the good news of Jesus Christ. And this expansion is comprehensive. Look at verses 21 and 20, uh, to 23. When this man sends his servant to call people to the feast, he doesn't send them to his rich and powerful friends. He doesn't send them to the great and the good. He actually sends them to people that polite society at that time would have no truck with. That would take nothing to do with. Look at who he calls. He sends them to the poor. People who couldn't repay him for this feast. And that's a picture of grace. Undeserved mercy. God reaches down to people who can never repay him for his salvation. No matter how good the lives we live, we can never repay Christ for what he did for us. God doesn't ask for repayment. He doesn't look at us and say, Oh yes, your salvation, by the way, here's the bill, I'd like it, please, as soon as possible. He doesn't do that doesn't ask for repayment he simply asks us to come to himself and to trust him the poor the maimed, people with deformed and twisted and broken bodies people that society feels uncomfortable around the defects the rejects of society and this gracious host here this master of the house he reaches out to all of them God loves the spiritually maimed. Because everybody in this world fits into that category. We've all got a twisted nature. There's a bent towards sin in every single one of us from the moment that we set foot on the stage of this life. Society often draws back from these people, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus loves them. Jesus died to save their souls. He calls the most twisted to come to him. There's no sin so vile that will ever cause God to stop loving sinners. There is no sinner in this world whom God will look at and say, no, that's too much. Your burden of sin is too great. Can't do anything for you. That will never be said to anybody. Because Jesus is clear. He's unambiguous. He's open when he says, whosoever will, let him come. This invitation is for anybody who wants it. And the halt. People who couldn't get around on their own. Again, this is a picture of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Somebody who's crippled by sin. Somebody who can't get to God. Sinners need help getting to Jesus. There's a great example of that. Think about it in Mark chapter 2. This man, his friends, his four friends take him. And they bring him to Jesus, but the house is packed. They can't get in. So what do they do? They're up on the roof taking off the tiles, making a hole big enough to lower this man down in front of Jesus to be healed. These friends preach a sermon that still resonates today, that still speaks to us tonight because that's why Jesus wants sinners to come to them. He knows by themselves they can't get to God. They need help and Jesus is that help? Lost sinners can't move. They need somebody to come to them. And the Lord Jesus, He comes to them. How? He comes to them through His people. As we carry the gospel. As we are the gospel. It's a sad indictment of the, of the society that we live in. That we sometimes are the only gospel that many of our fellows come into contact with. I remember when I was in school in the 70s, 90% of my classmates went to church, went to Sunday school, were brought up to go to church. Today, 90% aren't. We are the only gospel. We are the only Jesus. That many of our fellows come into contact with. So when they see us, when they meet us, when they speak to us, do they see us in all of our flaws? Or do they see Jesus in all of his love? That is our mission. That is our mission field. And there's the blind. People trapped in their own world of darkness. They can't get to Jesus by themselves. They can't see the way to go. They need a guide. They need somebody to show them the light. And there are millions in darkness heading towards hell tonight. They need somebody to point them towards the source of the light of this world. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and illuminates the darkness so that blind sinners can see their need of Jesus so they become uncomfortable with this life and realize that they need more. And He uses people that He's already delivered from blindness. He uses them. He uses us. He uses you. He uses me to be a light for those who still can't see the way to go. We need to take the light to the lost. Now after the servant had been, and after he had found all the wrecks, all the wretches of humanity, the master's house, although it was filling, it still had room. And so the master, he sent the servant further out, into the highways, into the hedgerows, Because there were the worst of the worst. Those whom nobody wanted to have absolutely anything to do with. The dregs of humanity, of no fixed abode. People on the move, outcasts. In other words, nobody was left out of the master's invitation to the great feast. And that should speak to our hearts tonight. That should remind us that everyone, everywhere, no matter their state, no matter their lives, needs they need to hear about Jesus Christ and about the way to God and salvation. Nobody is left out of the expansion of this great man's invitation. But this expansion is challenging. It's not comfortable for the servant. The master asks his servant to take his invitation... ...and tell everybody he meets... ...that there's a feast and that they are invited. The feast was prepared. It was ready to be enjoyed. The table was groaning with the good things... ...that the master of the house had set out for those at the feast... And the servant was given the challenge of inviting men to that feast. God has a plan of salvation. It's not a haphazard thing. One of the great testimonies that God has a plan is the fact that there is still a church that testifies to the saving grace of Jesus Christ in this world. It's been here for 2,000 years. It's survived every empire. Every political regime and it will survive the current ones too. God has a plan of salvation and we in the church, those of us who believe, we're a vital part of that plan. Because we have to take the gospel into the world and tell them about our loving, saving Lord. Salvation comes to people who hear the gospel. That's the way it comes. But somebody has to take the message to them. And that's us. That's what Paul means when he says, You are living epistles read of men. You are living letters that are to be read by the people around you. You are a love letter. That God is writing to a world that desperately needs love. That's what you are. And that's why you are in this world. We are the some ones. We are the servants. We are the ones who take the great news of this feast that is prepared. We take the message out to everybody that we meet. God's Spirit works through us to carry the message of life to the lost. It's a challenging mission. It's an urgent mission. Because the time to tell people about Jesus Christ is now. And the ones that we are to tell is everybody we meet. That's our mission. This is our mandate From the lips of Jesus himself. God help us to fulfill it. For his glory. Not so that people will say. What great Christians. What great people. He or she or they are. But that they would see our Lord. And our Savior and our Redeemer. And say. What great love there is For a sinner like me. Now this servant. He was. Because he he belonged to a a great house, to a a posh house, he was used to being around people of good social standing. The upper classes, the elite, the, 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 the ones who had made it. For him to have to go and carry out his master's command, he needed to go and reach out to people that he wasn't used to mixing with. He had to move out of, out, of, out of the zone that he was comfortable with. He had to go out of his comfort zone and he had to find the dregs of humanity, the hedgerows, the highways, the byways. Quite often when we talk about witnessing, when we say that we're witnessing to people, we usually mean that we're witnessing to friends and family, people we're comfortable with. That's fine. That's good. But we need to go further. Because to fulfill God's command. To be like the servant here who was sent out with the invitation. We need to reach people that would normally ignore. We need to witness to people who are wicked. People who are different. People who are awkward. People that we'd normally avoid. People that we don't think deserve it. It's a great example Of what God does to somebody who absolutely did not deserve salvation in the New Testament. There was a man called Saul from Tarsus. And Saul single-mindedly wanted to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He beat Christians. He tortured believers. He consented to their death. And he was heading to Damascus to wipe out the little church there when Jesus met him. And what did Jesus do to him? He saved him. He converted him. He gave him everlasting life. None of us deserve God's blessing. None of us deserve to be saved. Yet God does because he loves us. We need to witness to these people. And sometimes that may mean that we have to humble ourselves beyond a point that we're comfortable with and invite people to this feast, to this church, to this worship, to meet with God, people that we normally wouldn't speak to. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready... To make ourselves uncomfortable for Christ. Because Christ was ready to make himself uncomfortable. To be humiliated for you. God commands us to go out. He sends us out with his word. With his joy in our hearts. So that those who see us and meet with us and speak to us. And see our lives, the lost. So that they will be compelled to come in. It feels like most of the people in the world, most of the people that we meet in this world are lost. They've been invited to the feast. And some have turned down the invitation. Some come to church Sunday after Sunday and they hear the gospel. And they hear Jesus is good news. They hear what he's done for them, the love that he has for them. And yet they turn it down. many, many more still have to hear about it. There are many people in this world, even in our own country, for whom the name of our Redeemer is nothing more than a curse, than a swear word. They don't know that he was a real person. That he came and that he died and that he rose again from the dead. They don't know that he's coming back. Let's tell them all, friends whom we meet, that they're invited to come to Jesus for salvation, that he will not send anybody away empty-handed who comes to him looking for love. Now, if you're like me, and you know that you're not as good a witness, you know, like I do, that you are not as good a messenger as you ought to be, and ask the Lord to help you to be the gospel witness, to be the salt, to be the light that He has saved you to be. You are a living epistle. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's be about our Father's business. Well, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you don't know Jesus. As your Redeemer. You can't say these beautiful words. I know that my Redeemer lives. Well let me give you some comfort tonight. Let me tell you that the invitation to come to the feast. Is still waiting for your answer. You know when you get a wedding invitation. And there's a card requesting your company. You and your partner. You and somebody else. To be at such and such a place. And such and such a time. RSVP. God is still waiting tonight, my friend, for your RSVP. Your response, please. Because the table of God's grace is set for you. Jesus has done absolutely everything that's necessary for you to be saved. There's nothing left for you to do except to come and believe. And he wants you to come to him. He doesn't want to punish you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to his feast so that you can be saved and that you can spend eternity in his presence. Don't make any excuses because they're not worth the air that they're breathed on. Don't turn a deaf ear because this is urgent. This is important. This is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Who knows? I don't know. I hope it's not true, but who knows? But tonight might be the last time that you hear this invitation. Time is short. Time is running out. Your answer is needed urgently. Come to Jesus, my friend. Everything is ready. everything is perfect. The table set, your place is there. and he is waiting to welcome you with a love that is unlike any love that you have ever experienced. Amen. Let's pray. Eternal Father. We thank you that your message. Your invitation does not come to just one or two select. But your message goes out into the highways and the hedgerows. To the halt, the maim, the sick, the poor. To lost sinners everywhere. Come. The feast is ready. And we are invited. Help us, Lord, to respond to your invitation with urgency so that we are saved today. And those of us who are saved, Lord, give us a burden on your hearts, on our hearts, to take your word and to give it, to share it with those who don't yet know you. And all for your good glory. Amen. Let's finish our service singing together from the Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 133. Page 424 in the psalm book, Psalm 133. We'll sing the whole of this short psalm together. Behold how good a thing it is and how becoming well together such as brethren are in unity to dwell. Psalm 133 from the beginning to God's praise. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.